Welcome to Local SEO Today. On this podcast, John Vong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover challenges and successes in business ownership. Our goal is to provide you with insights into the entrepreneurship journey and give you tips and advice from real experience. Brought to you by Local SEO Search based in Toronto, Canada. Thank you for listening to Local SEO today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. Joining me today is Rhett Power. He's the co-founder of Courageous Leadership, a consultancy that helps businesses liberate through courage. He is also the author of the Entrepreneur's Book of Actions. Thanks for joining me today, Rhett. It's, it's nice to be with you, John. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the first thing I always ask people is tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what do people know you by? Well, I love your intro, uh, liberating companies and, and leaders through courage. I, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, I am an author. I've read a couple of books, got a third one coming out in October, and I write for Forbes, uh, Inc., and a bunch of other publications. Uh, and uh, my main day-to-day thing is working with leaders and, and C-suite leaders uh, and founders to uh, find courage. Uh, you know, we, I think we have sort of an, another epidemic going on, or maybe it's a pandemic, I don't know, of a lack of courage uh, in business today. And so we try to help people find, find that again and, and find that because um, we believe that it, it, you know, change is hard. We know that. Uh, but the hardships that come from not changing are always harder. So we help companies liberate from paralysis and inaction. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your backstory, history. Um, did you go to school, um, your upbringing, your, you know, wow. even experience, et cetera? Yeah, I would love to hear about that. Man, uh, 50 years in, in, in a short time. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a, a blessed sort of childhood, I, you know, um, I got to, I had a lot of freedom, got a lot of freedom to explore and to explore different things, uh, traveled a lot when I was young, um, got a chance to do that. Uh, I, I think what's different about my journey is at 30, uh, I joined the U.S. Peace Corps. And it really came from a, a decision. And, and, and this is when I start to think about what were those moments in my life that were really transitional, really took courage. And I remember the, that moment because I, I had a great job. I was in a, in a radio career. I were, was working for Clear Channel Communications, had a really, you know, if I looked at it, looked back at it, a very prescribed sort of life, right? Like, you know, two-car garage, house, white picket fence, the whole uh, the whole dream there, middle-class dream, I guess. Uh, and that, maybe that scared me. Maybe I just didn't want that. I don't know what it was, but I decided that I needed something a little different. So I joined the Peace Corps, actually went to serve in Uzbekistan, spent two great years there. And that actually led me to a career right after that in international development with USAID. And um, after about six years of that in, in places like Central Asia and Afghanistan, I decided that um, I needed 
to do something else. I got that gut feeling again, that, you know, that nagging feeling that we all get. And a lot of times we push it down and we ignore it because it's telling us to do something crazy and ridiculous and something that's a little scary. Uh, but I, you know, I, I listened to it again and it, uh, I had been talking to a friend every Friday night for a couple of years over beer and pizza in Kazakhstan um, about starting our own thing, doing our own thing. And, and so one day we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, what? we got to either shut up about this or we got to do it. And so we both resigned again, great jobs, um, dream jobs, helping, actually helping people doing good work, uh, work that had a, a purpose. Uh, but, Again, we quit. We, we went back to the U.S. We started looking around for that, that company that we could invest in, we could buy, um, that we could bring a good management and, and energy to. And that took a long time. And, and we had a couple interesting missteps there, a couple of interesting things that we looked at. We looked at this, the one that I always tell people about is this dead body removal company. I mean, he had a $3 million EBITDA he had uh, a patent on body bag or, or a type of body bag. Great business, right? Fantastic business. Uh, had great revenue, had contracts with state governments and city governments. But I just could, we couldn't get excited about that. I mean, like I, and I was going to build some sort of storage, body storage facility in the back. But um, anyway, couldn't do it, couldn't get excited about that. And we found this tiny little toy children's toy company in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And my, my lawyer said to us, if you buy this company, I'm going to disown you. They had no books, no, uh, no records. I mean, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. Um, all he showed us was a, a bag full of cash and said, I, I make money. See, um, it was really shady, but we bought it anyway because we loved the product and we saw the reaction that kids had when they when they saw the product. And we were able to turn that that little one product company, it wasn't even really a company, you know, into uh, an Inc. 500 company. We were the fastest growing company in the state of South Carolina. Uh, we were Inc. 500 company uh, years and years in a row. We had our first three products we turned into Toys of the Year nationally. So we, you know, we were able to sort of uh, take that and and turn and put our energy into that and turn it into a global company. Where we we sold in 35 different countries, made product for Toys R Us, Walmart, all the all the big big names, the Animal Planet, and uh, so that that journey was uh, again uh, just fantastic. It was like a roller coaster and a, a rocket ship at some, at some point, and. Uh, learned a lot of lessons. Uh, then again, in, in 2014, got that 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 sort of the feeling again. It's time for a change. Somebody else needs to come into this and bring a new energy to it. And uh, we sold the company. And um, I, ever since, I have had this desire to coach and 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 help young entrepreneurs and founders and and CEOs to grow their companies and to be better at what they do. And that's. That's the evolution of, and, and how sort of um, we've come to Courageous Leadership, which was a, uh, a, I, I met people along that way, along that journey. And last year, Ryan Berman and I decided to bring Courageous Leadership to life 
And, and that's in, that was sort of a combination of all of our experience uh, in coaching and consulting and working with leaders. And that's where Craig's leadership was born. That's amazing. Um, and I'm going to ask you this because uh, you've endured a lot during the last 50 years or so. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, like, going into starting your business, buying that business, did you buy existing business and you already had savings um, yeah. and you, you saw potential, you saw that you really were passionate with trying to bring a smile to these children. But for those people that don't have a lot of funds or they don't have the ability to get a loan or savings, how would you go about bringing that to fruition, right? Because you've probably bought a system. You probably bought already oh, yeah. a product, right? <laughs> you probably bought a book of re revenue, right? Or clients or list or something. To get it from point zero to whatever was starting to then grow to Inc. 500, was there, do you feel there was already an established base before you bought it? And then how did you grow up from there? Yeah, no, there was no, there was nothing. So the 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 guy, um, he literally made a couple of hundred of these a week, and we ha we handmade them at first. This was a a little eco aquarium thing. He handmade them during the week, and then on the weekends he would pack them in a van and drive to a little trade show, a little consumer pet show. I mean, wherever he could sell them, a little fair. Um, so no, he didn't have a book of business. He had a awful way to produce and actually scale um there was again there was no system there was no um the system that he had to make this was not scalable at all i mean if we if we had any chance of of getting this beyond where we could drive it on a weekend uh we had to figure out how to scale it how to ship it how to and none of that existed and how to manufacture more so that we could, we could go broader. Uh, so there was nothing like that. We, we fell in love. I mean, if, if I had gone to business school, business schools would have made me turn in my diploma because this was an awful, again, it's why my attorney said, if you buy this, I'm going to disown you because there was nothing to it. There was no proof of, of concept. There was nothing. We just fell in love with the, the product. And we saw, we went to a trade show with him one weekend and we saw how kids reacted to it. Mm, that was the only proof. That was the only proof we had. That was, we, we bought it completely on faith. And so, you know, we didn't have anything to go on except our own gut feeling again, that this, we could make this work. We could figure out the scale. We could figure out how to ship it. We could figure out all those massive challenges that it had, not to mention how do we get it into stores? Because I'm not going to spend the next 10 years of my life driving this product around the Southeast to try to, to sell it to, to anybody that'll buy it. We did a lot of that. We did that for two years, but, uh, and that was just so we could survive. I mean, I was living in my van most of the time out of the back of my van, those two years, I think we drove that two years. I think we drove 150,000 miles each. Uh, we bought another van so that both of us could do it. Um, so, I mean, we didn't really have the money and, and we didn't really have uh, any of the, what you were talking about. So we had to bootstrap it. I mean, we, nobody would give us money. I mean, uh, 
you also have to remember when we were getting started, the financial crisis happened, right? And so even when we had a, a $6 million EBITDA, you know, four years later, we couldn't get money to save our life. So, I mean, so to me, um, the reason I think it worked is because we didn't have money. If, I think we would have been awful business people if we had had money. But, you know, that first office that we were in, we were in that until until five or six years later. We were all on top of each other. I mean, I was in the, I, we had a small office, but my partner was in that office. Our, our assistant was in, this, in that office. Our designer was in that office. We had like six people in that little tiny little office about 200 square feet. Um, so we did that intentionally. And, and because we didn't have money, it made us pay attention to every detail, every little thing that we had to watch, we watched because we didn't have a choice. And so um, that actually that being that lean and, and that hungry and, and that having to watch every dime was actually really, really good discipline for us. And I actually think that that's what made us um, reinvest everything that we made. It made us really be calculated and, and conscious of, of that. And I think that helped us grow. That's amazing. And I love that story because you like just acknowledge that all you need is people that are excited about the product and going to these shows and trade shows. That's all you need. Like if there's a need in the marketplace, people are willing to pay for a product and service. And it, and that's the proof people are willing to pay for something that's out there. It's not rocket science. It's very yeah. similar to every successful business. People are doing all these surveys and pre-studies and all this information that they should just go proof of concept with a product or a service and yeah. see if people are willing to pay for it. And I love that because that's what a true entrepreneur is all about. They bootstrap, they figure it out, and they grow afterwards. So if you don't mind me asking, mm -hmm. um, how did you start scaling? Like what was the pivotal point from, you know, you driving 150,000 miles a year or whatnot? Um, when did you start seeing like, I got to start improving my process systems, people, software, you know, to scale to a level that it doesn't involve my time as much as like just driving? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really fantastic question. Um, and it, they're, it's a long, kind of a long sorted thing. So we had started scaling it um, in that two years. What we figured out was there was demand for the product. But again, we couldn't get, you know, we couldn't get any money. We couldn't get a line of credit, really. We both had great credit, too. Like it, it, this was just a matter of we were in a financial, we were in the financial crisis. It was 2008. And nobody, nobody was going to pay attention to, to us right at that time. Um, we were still doing $150,000 a year, uh, you know, and, and still sort of scrapping along. But we had figured out uh, the scaling part of it where we can make more, manufacture more. Uh, we had bought a, another truck and had somebody else driving. So we had like three routes across the country going on and we were going to trade shows every weekend. And we knew we were, we were trying to get a break, right? We knew we had focused in on the toy business. And so we had gotten some store accounts, but again, the, it was labor intensive, right? It was, um, 
we were having to del deliver the product, hand deliver it, because we couldn't get FedEx yet in our UPS to ship it. And and so although everybody was interested, like we had a lot of interest, we had stores that were interested, and that we had a, a FedEx rep that was seeing what we were doing, um, a local FedEx rep that was um, out of the Tennessee hub and in uh, Tennessee, the big shipping hub there. Um, and it was actually Toy Fair in 2009, I think, might've been, two, yeah, 2009. And we had just, I mean, by luck uh, on one of those routes, we had stopped at a toy store a lot of different times. I had stopped there and my partner stopped there on the route and talked to this toy store owner. And she finally said to us, God, if you stop coming in, I'll take a box of the, I'll take a box of these. Um, but you just got to stop coming in because you're annoying the heck out of me. Um, and she, that week she sold like in a couple of days, she sold all of them. And you also remember too, like the, the toy stores back then and, and at that time and still today, the small toy stores were getting hammered. Um, they were losing toy stores right and left, the little small ones anyway, the mom and pop toy stores. And she called back a couple of days later. So I got to have another box. Like you, you got to bring them. I'm out, you know, and this happened over and over and over and over again. And she, she, I remember her call. She said, you know, Rhett, you've got to come up to toy fair in New York in February. And I think this was like January. And she said, you know, you need to come up to toy fair. And I'm like, I don't have to, I don't have the money to like stay in New York. I don't have the money to like, register for this thing. I'm looking at it right now online and it's like $3,000 to get a booth. I'm like, I, I just, I, I can't, she was like, you gotta come to toy fair. I don't care if you guys sleep in your van, like in, in your sleeping bag, you gotta come and go to toy fair. And so um, we scraped together like the money to do it. We, we, we didn't have to, we, we ended up staying like way out in New Jersey somewhere you know, in a hotel, but she's like, you got to come. We got a booth like back in the back corner. Like it was the last booth that, that, you know, they would possibly give us. We had a, we had like a handmade sign. It was really, it was really awful. And that, that week she, what I didn't know about her is that she had become the president. She was the president uh, elect or whatever of the national toy store association, the small toy store association, Astra. And she was the incoming president that year. And she stood up in their age, in their annual general meeting and said, you have got to buy this product because it's the only thing in my store selling right now during this, this financial crisis. I'm selling like 30 of these things a week. You got to buy this. We walked out of toy for a $9 million company. And I mean, Brookstone came up, Brookstone and said, we got to have this in our store, all 300 of our stores. I mean, we walked out just completely transformed. And that actually was sort of the impetus on how we were able to sort of blow it up within a few months, because that gave us the leverage to go to FedEx and say, look, you got to help us figure out how to ship this thing. And because otherwise, I mean, we got, we've got these POs for stores all over the country. We got Brooks, we got to figure out how to ship to Brookstone. We got to figure out how to ship to California. We got to figure out how to ship all over the country. 
they actually gave us a, our rep went to bat for us. She got us a technology grant. They came in, they put a, they put computers weighing systems and systems in our, on our production line. They brought their box people in and they pressure tested it and crushed it and did all, they figured out how to, they helped us figure out how to ship it. And, and so all of a sudden we were able to package this thing and ship this thing, which we had, nobody would give us the, the help and attention before, but now that we had all these POs, they were very interested in helping figure out how they, they could do that. Right. Um, and so it was really that, it was that toy fair that helped us sort of um, overcome a lot of the hurdles. And the other thing that we did, which was fundamental in, in us being able to scale this was we went to all of our vendors. We actually got in the car right after toy fair and drove and saw, we had, a, we had a plastics manufacturer in Kentucky. We had somebody in Chicago. We had somebody out in uh, California. We actually got a plane to do that. We're running up the credit card bill tremendously uh, to do that. Um, but we went and saw all of our, all six of our major suppliers and said, look, here's, here's what, you know, she brought the POs and showed them all the stuff and said, look, we got to have your help. Like there's no way we can pay for all the plastics that we need. There's no way we can buy all the grout, all the stuff that we needed to do this. And to a T, every single one of them gave us the credit and said, look, you know, we know it's going to be 120 days before Brookstone pays you the first part, you know, we're going to give you credit. And they, and they hung in there with us, you know, that first year, because it, it was the scaling up was bumpy, but um, they, they all hung with us and gave us as much credit as we needed and, and payment flexibility and all that. So, uh, you know, without all of that, uh, we wouldn't have gotten it. And I, I will say that I give my partner credit for that, but he really stayed on. I was the, the sales and product guy and he was the, he handled the, the books and the financial stuff, but he always made sure that like, if we weren't going to pay somebody, we, they were, we called them. He, he was very good at, at like keeping in communication with all those people that were waiting on us and, and keeping those relationships really uh, close. And so uh, that, that's how it happened, you know, and, and it was just a, um, that really was a, that gave us the leverage. It wasn't, it forced us. We were already thinking about how to scale. It just gave us the leverage to go out and do it. That's amazing. I, I love the story because it just shows what, um, you know, hard work, but not only that, like, yes, there's a little bit of luck, but it's persistence, right? It's like you going to that store every day or every couple of days and you know, how many no's did you have before you had an opportunity? And during that opportunity, you had no idea what leverage she had or how, yeah. what, how much clout, right? And that's what it takes. Just one person can change the luck of your entire career, your life, right? Because without that one individual giving yeah. you the opportunity, what would your business have been, right? Maybe uh, we would have closed up. Right. I, I was I was I was absolutely tired of driving around the country. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, we were not we were not long for throwing in the towel and saying, well, that was a good try. I mean, it, we really weren't. I mean, it it just wasn't it wasn't scaling the way we we had hoped, and it was we weren't getting the help that we needed from you know the FedExes of the world or whatever. Um, but that's not. I mean, I get it. I mean it was tough times for everybody. And, you know, everybody was trying to, to, 
you know, survive. And so we were no different. It, it just, but you're right. I mean, it was one person who said, you got to do this. And I kept saying to her, I, I, it's great, but I, 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 I can't, I don't see how I can afford it, you know? So um, are you, are you still connected with her? Like, do you still talk? Are you still good friends? Occasion, yeah, on occasion. I, I think they, she's retired now from, from the business, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember her very fondly. I would be her biggest advocate. I would be like best friends or giving her everything she wants because she, she basically turned your life around, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No doubt so, about it. So regarding, okay, and I know I, I'm asking some details, but during that transition where you finally got some POs, you started ramping up, scaling, was it just you and your partner or did you start hiring people in the right places with the right experience, with the right kind of, you know, team mm -hmm. attitudes, processes and play systems with expertise? Or did you guys try to do it yourself and learn along the way? A little bit of both. I mean, we, um, you know, we were still, you know, we were in, in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, not the hotbed of, of um, talent that does international shipping and not the hotbed of, of um, logistics and everything else. So, uh, and, and uh, with the skills that we were looking for. So, I mean, we, we really did have a ragtag team, honestly. Uh, but, you know, I, what, I, what, what, is, what was really interesting is i mean we just like anybody else any company you go through your challenges in hiring you go through your challenges in scaling and we had to ramp up in a massive way i mean we went we had to we had to hire about 90 people ultimately um and we had to build a you know facility and we had to build capability in china um to get where we wanted to go so we we had a lot of uh, people that we needed to bring on salesforce all that and uh, so, you know, we did hire, we hired a few consultants, we hired uh, some skilled people. We did, we had, we had one really good skilled person in the shipping side who helped us really um, understand the, the shipping side of things. We had good, we hired people away in China from other companies and, and were able to build good capacity there. Um, but all in all, we, we still had to build that first product in the U.S. and that never changed. And so, um, yeah, we had a good team. I mean, we, we hired not necessarily for uh, great skill, but we hired for people who were hungry and willing to try and, and hustle and work hard. And that's where we were. And, I, and, and that, um, as we evolved as a company, we did have to get hire more skilled people as we had the ability to do that and the financial stability to do that. Uh, but we also always hired for uh, willingness and, and hunger and willingness to, 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 to try new things and, and work uh, and work ethic. We always hired on that first and foremost, even when we were looking for skilled people. Um, but, you know, we started building a team. We had to start building a team. We had to start putting processes in place uh, but no matter how we did that, and, and that was um, that was bumpy in some respects, when you're trying to hire 100 people in a matter of a, two months, there's no good way that that's going to happen uh, unless you have processes. And we didn't have processes. We had to 
we had to hire the bodies and we had then had to figure out um, how bad how badly we did that and how we needed to redo that in some cases and and um, but you know those first few first hundred people or so a lot of those weren't skilled a lot of that was how to box something in a in a box and put tape on it and put a label on it and so um, we had to figure all that out first and and um, those those a lot of those things we could teach a lot of the stuff that we were hiring for then we could teach you know it got more technical when you're talking about graphic design and you know designers and and you know accounting people and accounts receivable those are skills that we hire, had to hire for um but uh yeah we scaled fast and so it was bumpy and 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 ugly in some cases uh but you learn you know you you get more mature and you learn your mistakes you learn how to ask the right questions when you hire uh and you still you know, still can be bumpy, even if you have good processes. So, um, awesome. it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, a, it was, it was, it was a challenge. So uh, again, um, did you have any background in merchandising or did you or your partner know much about this industry before you jumped in? Not a, not a single bit. Uh, I, I came from radio and then I came from international development. My partner came from, uh, the construction industry and then into international development um, through the after his graduate degree. So no, we didn't. None of us had. Uh, I had no experience in consumer products. Um, but you know, to an extent, I I, I kind of see that as in in hindsight as a benefit. I I fired a consultant once for for telling me that I couldn't do that because that's not how the industry does it. And I, and I didn't subscribe to that. I, I, I kind of believe, look, you know, you, you can't tell me that um, the person that started Hasbro or Mattel or Spinmaster or any of the other big players in, the, uh, you know, Lego always did it the way somebody else in the industry did it. You, you don't get to be that big and that significant by playing in the same, same head place or the same space, right? You do that by thinking creatively. You do that by um, thinking outside of the box. And you do that by thinking big. And so uh, I just wasn't, uh, I, I didn't, um, that, that lack of experience didn't really bother me so much because I felt like, you know, you make a good product and you get out there and you try to sell it and you hustle and you talk to the right people, then um, that that that's what's going to win the day. And, and it, um, we felt like we were making good products and we had something that people, we were making products that people wanted and that had a, that had an audience and had a, um, had a uniqueness about them. So that, that was what was important to us. Um, you know, we had this sign above our door that said, be significant. And, 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 and that really meant a lot to us in terms of everybody, no matter what position you had, it was sort of became a, 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 a mantra or a, a sort of our ethos, you know, I mean, it, it drove us because we wanted to be significant in the industry and, and, and every single one of us in the organization, whatever our job was, whether it's putting tape on a box or uh, making sure the bills get paid or, or making sure that we, we, we go up and we talk to Toys R Us about a new product, whatever your role in that was, uh, it, it was important that you do it. Uh, and, and be the absolute best that you could be at it. And then we felt like that would, that would win the day, no matter our experience or not. 
That's awesome. Um, so it was fully self-funded. There was no other VC or any loans that you got. That's awesome. And then regarding the exit, I know you mentioned you eventually sold it. That's when you basically moved on to your next part of your career, which is now what you're doing today, which is the consultancy, the book, the coaching, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. How has that been um, since you've left, you know, the, the bigger kind of business to yeah. now doing it more about yourself, right? It's all about you on an individual level, trying to help and inspire entrepreneurs. Um, do you find it as significant, as challenging, as rewarding? Or yeah. like maybe, you know, you share your experiences since you've been doing it now for a couple years. Yeah. I, look, I, I, um, I'll, I'll, I will take pushback a little bit on, on it's about me. It really isn't. Um, one of the things about uh, coaching is that it's, it's, it's most definitely about the, the person that you're helping and, the, and, the, and helping that person be better for their, for their company and be better for their people that they work with uh, and their teams. And so it, it is, um, I, don't, I don't think of it in that sense. Uh, now, you know, we're also growing too. I mean, this is a business and, and the reason that Ryan and I brought the, the comp- our respective companies together uh, is because we, we feel like that there is a, a real market and a real uh, desire uh, to, for companies to find that courage and to find and to change that culture of paralysis and inaction and things that hold companies back. And and so, you know, at the at the, at the same time, I mean, we're we're growing our company and, and thinking about how do we scale it and, and become even larger. I mean, we've we've actually just hired a CEO and uh, brought on another partner. And so uh, I, I, we see this as a movement uh, of a courageous movement, less than a company, we see it as a movement. And so um, it's not, um, I, I don't think any differently than I did back then. Um, I look at, at opportunity and, and growth in the same way. And I think that there's a real opportunity to, uh, and I've seen an appetite um, in a different way. I mean, I'm not dealing with uh, 12-year-olds, but there's still an appetite for uh, being better and, and um, improvement. And, you know, if you look at what's happening in, in, the, in, the, in business now, I mean, there's almost sort of this business apocalypse going on, right? Companies used to stay on the Fortune 500 75 years. They're now staying on that list 11 years. You know, things are just getting completely disrupted. And, and any... There's not an industry that's uh, immune from that. And so, you know, companies are looking at how they can change and evolve. Uh, and, and they're doing that because they know if they don't, they're going to die. And, and so this is, this is really a matter of life and death. And so, um, I, you know, I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I, I kind of see this as a, as, a, as a huge movement. And so it, to me, it's just as exciting as the toy company in a different way. I, I mean, I'm older, I'm more mature. And things are, um, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be um, and, and a lot more um, probably steady. And, and um, but, it, but a lot of that is probably comes from what I experienced with the toy. I'll take those lessons with me forever, what I experienced in that business and the, and the pace and the, uh, and the, 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 the energy and the, 
you know, the, 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 um, the all hours of the day, 24 hours a day, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take that. And, and those lessons are going to be ever with me, but, um, there's that same energy about, about courage right now and the companies that we're working with. Uh, we're working with some of the top 50 companies in the world right now. And uh, it's, I had a CEO the other day tell me, this is the best thing that they've ever done uh, as an executive team. And that, it, you know, this has just been absolutely life-changing for them. And so, uh, that tells me that we're on to something in terms of uh, something that can really help people. That's amazing. Um, and then in terms of like um, the next adventure for you, right? Like I know you've been doing this for a couple of years now and it sounds like you're very passionate at helping these larger companies. Is there a specific vertical niche industry i know you your background's merchandising but you also did radio etc but before then um is there a specific industry that you kind of go after to do this courage um framework or model um yeah. for no i i um I, I don't um you know just like going into the toy business uh i think we probably could have done we, we, if it hadn't been the toy business, whatever the business we would have gone into, I think we could have done really well. Um, because it's, um, to me, I don't, I don't believe I have to have a knowledge of a particular type of industry. Um, I'm not going to become a brain surgeon, but you know, I think if it's a, a matter of making a product and selling it to a customer, uh, those fundamentals, I think, we were really, really good at. And so we could have applied to any uh, kind of business. And, and I kind of look at it the same now. Like I'm a, I'm a mechanic. I kind of look at myself as a mechanic, right? I'm a business mechanic. I'm not going to go in and tell you your books are a mess or any of that, but I, I, I can diagnose uh, culture problems. I can diagnose, you know, behavioral problems. I can help solve some of those culture issues. Um, I, you know, I, in my, when I first got started as a consultant and coach, I did a lot of the, the under the hood with the books or the sales process. And I've moved a lot away from that now in, in more of the behavioral and cultural part of the business. And uh, I forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, I think um, to me, that's where I want to focus and put my time. And uh, I think that's where uh, I can help in, in no matter what the industry is or what the kind of business it is, because those are, those are similar problems. Those are similar issues, no matter the industry. That's amazing. Um, any big mistakes that you would like to share over the last couple of years or even at your other toy uh, mm -hmm. company? Wow, we got a couple hours. I mean, we <laughs> or some of the most largest ones, and then you know, maybe some positive things that you've kind of learned from them. Yeah, I mean, we 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 um, made mistakes every day. I mean, we we um, we did some great things. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I was so intentional in the toy business. Uh, we we ended up creating a pretty good culture. I don't think it was on purpose. Um, but we had good people. We hired good people. 
and and they helped make the culture what it was. Uh, and, and so, uh, in terms of mistakes, yeah, I mean, we made product mistakes all the time. You know, in that business, we had probably 60, 70% of the products you make don't, don't really work out financially. Uh, so we made mistakes every, every year with product. Uh, we got better at it, but you know, when you're moving that fast and you got to get a product to market, you take some chances. And uh, we learned again, we learned to be better at it. Uh, we, I think we spent a hundred thousand dollars trying to implement SAP. That was a huge mistake. Uh, but again, you learn, you learn, pretty quick that that was a dumb idea. Um, but again, we thought it was the right thing. Um, you know, we made mistakes on letting people get away with not paying, which, you know, we probably lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on things that we never collected on. But again, we were trying to extend the same courtesy that people had extended to us, you know, but you learn your lessons. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, those those are all big mistakes, but they were not unrecoverable. Uh, and I kind of feel like, you know, we tried a bunch. We won sometimes. We didn't win sometimes. None of it killed us. So we were the better for it. And we learned lessons. And um, the I, I will say this, uh, you know, the crisis and the things that happened, I mean, we had supplier issues sometimes. We had... Um, regulatory problems sometimes because of uh, federal government, the Consumer Protection Agency, you know, stopping a product or, or, or thing, something uh, or making a new regulation, you know, as we were in production for a toy. Um, those things happen all the time and uh, you learn, uh, there's a maturity I think that you get once, once you've been through so many different crises and so many different things that entrepreneurship throws at you and it throws something at you every day, whether it's a personnel thing, a product thing, a customer thing. Um, you get to the point where those things don't bother you so much. You don't lose sleep over those things. I mean, that the first day that we bought the company, we had one client that we did take from the old, um, the old uh, owner and he was a local uh, store uh and we went in and he had, he had two or three stores. Um, so to us, that was a massive client. And I think he spent $300 a week or something, you know, uh, not, not significant in the big scheme of things, but to, at that time we're like, Oh no, big client. Um, we walked in and he started yelling at us. I mean, day one. Um, and it just completely rattled us. And, we walked out of there like, what the hell just happened? Oh my God. And, you know, thinking about it now, I'm like, he was just negotiating. <laughs> he was just reneg. He had a chance to renegotiate his price. So he was going to renegotiate his price. You know, he wasn't mad at us. He wasn't upset. It wasn't personal. And in fact, he shook our hands and patted us on the back when we walked out. I was so confused, but it was, it was just, uh, it was a negotiating it's 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 good to get a good perspective and be relative in terms of now that you look back because I've been doing this for eight years my agency and just very similar like the first couple clients they worked me they it was hard because it was earned but 
you learn, right? You make mistakes, you learn who your ideal customers are, who you want to be as a company, who you want to cultivate as a culture, your staff. And this is a part of this journey, right? And a lot of people have to learn by doing and making these mistakes. And hopefully these mistakes don't really hurt you at the end for you to fold the business. But even if you do, at least you'll try not to do it again on your next journey or adventure, right? In terms of entrepreneurship. So I love that. Um, in terms of, I know I, I just have a couple more questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, so what drives you today? Like what pushes you to do what you do? Um, and what, you know, motivates you uh, to get you up in the morning to be so passionate? Uh, yeah, I love what I do and I'm having fun. Uh, I think the minute I, I think what I realized with the toy company is I wouldn't have any fun anymore, right? And um, so when that stops happening, uh, I can easily move on to, to, the, next, to the next act. Uh, but um, I, I actually think that I'm doing now what I was supposed to do. I think, I think that whole journey was to get to this place. And, and I don't see a massive change in that anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I got tired of the, the toy company because uh, of the day-to-day. It got mundane, right? The challenge in it ceased. And, um, and, I, and I didn't like making sure John showed up for work, you know? I didn't like making sure Rhett showed up for work. Um, and, and so I don't see that happening here. Like we've hired a CEO to run the company so that we can do what we love. And, and I think that's a big difference. And, you know, I, I love developing the coaching programs. I love doing the coaching. Uh, of course, at some point, you know, if we do grow like we intend that I'll do less and less than that, I'll be doing a lot more of, of, of running things, but you know, I, I think um, we've done it so that we can focus on the part of it that we love, creating the programs, creating the content, creating the, uh, and, and helping, you know, do some of the coaching and, and, and stuff that we want to do. So I, I think, um, you know, I don't see that changing. I, I, I really am happy, fun. The nice thing about, I have the worst case of ADD in the world. And the nice thing about working with leaders in different industries, it like challenges me to learn. It challenges me to learn about those industries, about those those kind of companies and what what's, what their challenges are. Um, and so, to me, it's you know I come in every day and I've got a new challenge ahead, and and that that keeps me really inspired. And so, uh, I don't know. I'll get let's get back. I'll get back to you in a few years if that's changed and tell you what why. But I right now I don't see any kind of um, anything different on the horizon. I, this is this is great. I'm having fun. So as long as that's happening. Uh, I'm going to continue doing it. I think that's the most pivotal thing that you have to acknowledge for yourself, right? Like you got to enjoy what you're doing, bring happiness to your life, right? Have joy. And if you wake up in the morning doing something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like you're going in doing something that you dread, Um, but you're actually helping others achieve whatever they're purpose is right and by doing more of that it brings way more fulfillment so i love that um yeah i mean that was for me that was a key right i I don't i don't want to wake up with regrets i don't want to sit down as an old man on my front porch in my rocking chair and say well 
that life sucked or that life was painful, right? Or, wow, why did you do that for so long? You hated it. I, I don't, I, I just, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in that life or that, those kind of regrets. So. And I love that you're taking control, right? It's like, I would have, could have, but you're actually doing. There's a lot, there's a big difference. And as an entrepreneur, you guys are doing something. And I love entrepreneurs. I love business owners. They're doing something as opposed to waiting for things to happen. Um, one last question is, aside from business, um, what are some of the other pillars that really mold you as a human, as a person? Um, because I know we've only talked about your kind of business career journey. How about you yourself, right? Like what really are the major pillars in your life? Uh, family, family's important. Uh, my boys and, and, and uh, you know, taking care of them and, and having them be happy, healthy and successful is, is, is important. Um, I, I have hobbies and things I love to do that, that sort of, uh, give me sort of, sort of therapy for me. Uh, you know, I love to be on the water, uh, whether it's in those on the, on the sailboat or, uh, we were at the beach last week, so we got to do some surfing and diving. So all of that to me is, is really where you find that peace and that, that inner sort of tranquility or, or, uh, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, your inner zen, whatever you want to call it. But, um, that's, those things are important to me and what make, make me, me. So, uh, I do a lot of reading and writing, uh, obviously. And so, uh, that's cathartic as well as keeps me, um, understanding where things are and where things are going. And, and, uh, you know, I love to learn. So that, that's, that's important. Um, so I think those are the things that are, are fundamental to me and, and are, important to me being able to do what I do and, and do it successfully. I think that's so pivotal because people need balance. They need a really good foundation and lifestyle and purpose, right? So it can't just be work all the time every day because some days are going to be super stressful and people are going to really irritate you. So you need that balance. So I love that. Um, well, thanks a lot, Rhett. I really appreciate yeah. it. Is there any other things that you would like to mention that maybe I've missed that you would like to share? So if you want to find out more about Courageous, you can uh, go to my website, rhettpower.com, or you can go to the Courageous uh, site, which is courageous.io, and find out more. Uh, and happy to, to talk and connect on LinkedIn or via email. But uh, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn and we can have a discussion. And if you want to talk about the Courage Bootcamp, which is uh, our first product in the, in the company, uh, happy to talk to you about that and how we could uh, help you become more uh, courageous as a leader. That's amazing. Well, thanks a lot, Rhett, for sharing your story, uh, sharing a little bit about you personally. And, um, you know, best of luck with you and your new, new career and new business. Um, but don't hesitate to ask, uh, reach out to me if you have any questions. But thanks a lot again for all the listeners who's joining us. Uh, and thanks a lot again for uh, Rhett, our special guest today, uh, for sharing uh, valuable insights about uh, your journey. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Please subscribe to Local SEO Today and tune in to our next episode.